1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Good morning, one and all. Incredibly good to be in the room with you. My name's Adrian, if you don't know me. I hope to get to know you by the end of this morning. Um, Particularly welcome if you're uh, new around us, whether you're in the room or online with us, you are very, very welcome. Please do make yourself known. If we don't make ourselves known to you, I promise that will happen. Just a huge thank you to Izzy, who I know is in the room, who read the scripture. I always think it's a funny thing to see yourself reading something whilst you're here, but thank you so much, Izzy, for reading that. If you're new around us, we're in this series entitled We Are, where we're exploring, like, well, who are we then as church together? What does that really mean? You know, we've just lived through 18 months of uh, a -a once-in-a-lifetime moment, defining moment. Uh, we're still living in a pandemic, and therefore it's caused us to question, well, then who are we? Like, what does it mean to be church together? And rather than us kind of make some ideas up about that, we thought, well, let's look at what the Bible says about who we are, and we're doing that week in, week out. And as we're still emerging, learning to live within a pandemic, we have a rhythm at the moment till October half term where every other Sunday, we have the joy of having every age kind of reflected amongst who we are as a family, as a church. And so kids are in. Uh, If you've got kids with you, just to say there is no need to keep them silent. Like, you don't have to kind of smother them at this point to make sure they don't make any noise. We're okay with noise, I promise you that. If at any point they kind of think, man, I just want to run around, he's very boring. You can go out in the back, you can then still see me in a bigger screen, uh, but can then run around a bit more. But as a little incentive, if you stay in the room for at least the first kind of 10 minutes, there may be some chocolate. You see, I've kind of been joined uh, by another chair, a chair that if you're in line, you can't see, but the other chair that had uh, a host in earlier, I think Will was sat there, that now is full of chocolate, which I promise we will get to uh, in a moment. You see, we've been looking at this passage in 1 Peter where Peter describes like who we are as a church. And so far, we've discovered that who we are are a bunch of people built on Jesus. 
All we are, all we'll ever be, is always about Jesus. We are brought together by him, we are sustained by him, and we get to reveal him. Then what we looked at last week is Mike did this amazing job of saying, actually, we're then being built not only on him, but by him to, with each other. And we're being built together to be a spiritual building, to be like a temple. And I'm not going to repeat the talk. Please do go back online and listen to it. It'll do your hearts good if you didn't hear it. But in essence, what Mike got us to see is as this spiritual building, who we are are those then who are devoted to God, and, get, and those who get to expect that God's presence is with us wherever and whenever we gather and wherever we go. So that's what we've looked at so far. Well, today I want to pick up on this theme that gets through, comes through this passage that we are chosen. That's what we're going to look at today. We are chosen. Now, back in the 1980s, or as the Goldbergs would say, Back in 1980-something, now if you're not a Goldbergs fan, you don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe YouTube it afterwards and you'll see what I'm talking about. Back in the 1980s, I loved sport. By my physique now, you can tell that probably I don't love it as much as I used to. But back then, I loved sport, and I loved trying out new sports, and one of the sports that came into my frame of vision was hockey. Like, we've never played hockey at school before. We have played football, we played rugby, we played basketball, we played rounders, we played tennis, but we've never played hockey. And I absolutely loved it. You got a stick, that's pretty cool. You got to run around and you got to hit things. Generally a ball, but sometimes other people. And a local club in the town that I was in, called Bedford, like opened their doors and said, actually, we want to emerge to kind of create this junior league. We've never had it. And so I became like this evangelist, like promoting hockey to all of my friends, saying, like, come along to this club. I think we could be part of a team together. And week on, week out, I went to this club, and I invested time and energy in hockey, and I recruited lots of other people to come and play hockey with me. Until it gets to this moment where the team is announced. The team who are going to represent the town for the first time. And this team list is put up in our school just because of the connection between our school and this hockey club. And so in the morning, I wake up very early and I run to school before everyone else. And I get there outside the gym and I see the list and at the top it's hockey team. And I'm like, man, this is it. As I get to the list, I start to see others around me coming along. And I look at the list and I see my friends' names. I see some of the people's names who I don't really like. And then I look and get to the end. And there's one name that I don't see. My name. I said, sorry. I'm sorry, are we not living this? <laughs> I've invested time and energy week in, week out. I've recruited everyone else on that list. I've been dedicated. I've recruited. I look at the list. I'm not on the list. I, I still don't think you're getting it. I recruited. I was dedicated. I was not on the list. That's why I heard ringing my ears as I read that list. 
You see, I did bounce back. It did knock me. But you see, when we hear that word chosen, what we tend to think is, am I in or am I out? Have I made it? What about other people? Have they made it? Do I, how do I compare to them? You see, when Peter writes and says, we are chosen, that's who we are as church, he doesn't want us to look at that sort of list. He actually wants us to understand that actually when we look and hear the words that we are chosen, it's actually all about Jesus. That's what it's about. Like when he says, we are chosen, he wants us to understand that it's all about Jesus. It's not about like who or what or why, but it's about this how, how we are chosen. That's what Peter wants us to get hold of. That's why in verse four, he starts off by saying, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. See, later as we get to verse 9, where Paul then describes who we are as believers, as the church, both here as Oasis, but universally throughout the world as chosen. He wants us to understand, no, the basis of this is the one who was chosen by God, who is Jesus. That our chosen status is because of him being chosen. See, the starting point Peter wants us to understand when we hear that we are chosen is always Jesus. Jesus is the one that the Father delighted in. He's the one who the Father chose, who through his life, death, and resurrection said, now I want you to be revealed as my chosen one in the order that all can come and share in your chosen status, that your story, Jesus, can become everyone's story so that Peter can say we are chosen why how because he was chosen his status his story becomes our status and our story let's just pause for a moment I know some of you are thinking yeah but you talked about chocolate (laughs) like how's this connecting with the chosen well It's hard to illustrate what this looks like, but let me just try for a moment. We've just lived through a summer of sport. Now, for some of us, that'll be like, oh, tell me about it. It's just been the best summer ever. Euros, tennis, Olympics, Paralympics. It's just been the best summer. And some weird stuff called cricket. (laughs) It's all been there. For some of us who are thinking, oh, I've just had to endure the summer of sport. I don't know where we are, but what I want to do for a moment is I just want to put up three images, and I want you to tell me if you know who they are. Now, some of you are going to think, I'm not going to do that. Well, hopefully you will. Maybe if you're online, you can join in as well. Now, what is the incentive of joining in if you're in the room? Well, the incentive if you're in the room is you're going to get some chocolate. If you get it right, you get a chocolate. If you're online, you just get the glory of you being seen online as getting it right. So let's throw the first image up. Who can tell me who this is? Go on, Chloe, shout it out for me. Emma Raducanu. Emma Raducanu. That's correct. Who won the US Open last weekend. Absolutely amazing. Now, 
Here's a bit of poor planning by the Hearst. I've got a chair full of chocolates, but I can't distribute them. Therefore, I wondered if, Will and Emily, you could quickly sneak in and just grab as many of all those chocolates and just start to give them to people. Now, let's go up for the next image um, there. Who can tell me who this is? Go right at the back. That is correct. We've got Raheem Sterling. Absolutely awesome. So Raheem Sterling, the top scorer for England through the Euros. Let's go to the last image, just because I don't want to lose you. So here we go. Last one. Who can tell me who this is? This is a harder one. Going right at the back. Go for it. That's where exactly it. Sarah Story, most decorated Paralympian. Absolutely awesome. So get to the chocolate at the back. Here's the deal. Three people got chocolates. That's not enough. Everyone got it right. Those three people mean everyone gets chocolate. Chocolate for everyone. You see, for each of these three sports personalities, what we found is as what they succeeded and became victorious in what they'd done, we found actually it did something around our country, our country that can help them be cynical and pessimistic. You suddenly find that their victory becomes our victory. Suddenly it's like, hey, last weekend, we've won the US Open. No, we didn't. We, we watched someone else win it. Oh, no, no, we did. We won it. Then we see... England kind of going through the Euros and, and the kind of, kind of temperature of people's like expectation just grows week in, week out as it's like, gets the final, it's like, we're going to win the Euros. We didn't. But it was still there. It was like their victory becomes our victory. In actual fact, out of it became this want and desire and says, hey, do you know what's going to happen? We're going to win the World Cup. <laughs> you see, None of us in this room are going to win the World Cup. That's the truth of it. But something happens that these sports people, these sportsmen suddenly give us hope to think, hey, their victory is our victory. You then find Sarah's story and you think, what an amazing sports personality. That they could win all of that gold. And suddenly their gold becomes our gold. Their victory, our victory. See, it's a crude example that we see in sport where we think, yeah, actually their victory becomes our victory. But in this much deeper, profound reality, Jesus' victory, Jesus' life, Jesus' story becomes our victory, becomes our story, becomes our life. That's why Peter then continues in verse 5, having said that Jesus is the chosen one, he then says, this is what God promises. I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will not know disgrace. In other words, as he goes on in verse 9, says, they will be chosen. That as Jesus is chosen, we are chosen. We get to share in Jesus' status. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And I promise you, as we're going to see in a moment, that changes everything. But what it does is his status as being chosen 
catches us up in his story in order that we become part of this much bigger story of knowing God's heart to reveal himself through a chosen one. See, what we become part of is a chosen story. And to, us under, to understand that chosen story, we have to look back and see the chosen story because we can look and say, oh, you're right. So the status we get is all through Jesus. And yet Jesus was fulfilling something that could be seen from the very beginning of the Bible through to his coming, through to his death, through to his resurrection, and will be fulfilled when he returns. And when Peter writes and says, we are chosen, he's wanting us to understand we are now part of a big story, a chosen story. Like some of you in the room have heard of the frozen story. Let it go. Because I want to talk about the chosen story. See, the chosen story starts here. Let's get the camera people up going and earning their free time at the moment because they don't get paid anything for doing this. Um, Here we go. So the chosen story starts here. Actually, I don't, I don't ever like going right to left. Do you mind if I go left to right? So let's start here. At the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, which reveals and shapes something of how and why everything was created. It's not going through the details of science, but rather saying actually God is behind it all and was revealing something through his creation. At the very beginning of creation, what we find is at the pinnacle of everything is humanity. Male and female, God creates them and chooses them to do what? To know God, to reveal God, and to be a blessing to all that is created. Now what you find is, from that creation, that this chosen humanity to bear God's image, to know him, to reveal him, and to be a blessing to the all that is created, rebels against him. And says, oh no, we don't want to be chosen by you. We want to be chosen by ourselves. We want to choose our own way. And in choosing their own way, humanity then breaks what God had created. And yet God doesn't give up. It says something about who God is. God is one who doesn't give up. God is God who loves us. That's why we started off that place. Here is love, fast as the ocean. So this God who loves says, no, everything's broken, but I will restore it. Out of your seed, one will come who will restore everything that has been broken. And so this journey goes along to find, well, what's that seed going to be? What's that one that's going to emerge who can be a chosen one to perfectly reveal knowing God, revealing God, and being a blessing? So what you find is that having God promise that, God then calls a man, Abraham. And through Abraham says, actually through you, I want you to know me. I want you to reveal me to those around and I want you to be a blessing to all nations. In actual fact, your descendants are going to outnumber stars in the sky. That's who I'm choosing here. And then from this individual, a family emerged, but not just a family, a people emerged, a people called Israel. And Israel says, now you're going to be my chosen people, a chosen people to know me, a chosen people to reveal me, a chosen people to be a blessing to all nations. But here's the deal. There's still that rebellion bedded in to who we are as humans. So as God chooses these individuals, they just 
keep falling, they keep failing. They're broken. They can't live up to the chosen status. They can't live up and so continuously keep seeking not to know God, not to reveal God, and definitely not to be a blessing to others. And yet God had always ordained and planned that actually in his choosing, he would reveal one who could perfectly be the chosen one. And so that from this people, from that family, from that seed, one emerges who is Jesus, who perfectly is the chosen one, who then perfectly knows God as he is God, the son of the father, who perfectly reveals God because he is God, and who perfectly is a blessing to all in order that through his life, death, and resurrection, in dealing with the brokenness, is then able to call all to come and share in his story, his life, in order that they can know his blessing because he's the chosen one. So that what? So that we can then join him in his story. Because his story as the chosen one becomes the one who restores what was broken back there at the beginning. That makes us truly who we are created to be. To be humans. Humans who know God, who reveal God, and are a blessing to all. And so Jesus becomes the chosen one from which all of a new humanity, a new creation can emerge. Which is why we're here. Because this big story becomes our story. And we thought we were just talking about us here. Like, okay, we're emerging out of a pandemic. Like, how do we do this? Oh, no, no, this is much bigger than that. This is a story that is told throughout the whole of Scripture. Therefore, this big story becomes our story of what it means to be chosen. Which is why Peter then continues and says, well... What does it mean for this to be our story? When well, verse 10, it's about mercy, not merit. What does that mean? It means that it has nothing to do with you or I, that we now know God. Everything to do with Jesus. It's not about what academic achievements we've got, how much money we've got in our bank balance, what status we have, like what we may or may not do. It's all about Jesus. It's the firm foundation that we have that it's his life, not ours, that we're judged on. Therefore, we receive mercy. We don't live thinking, have I made it? This is like a chosen list like no other. This isn't about like, am I in or out? No, no. It's about me receiving this chosen status from the one who is chosen. So first, it's about that restoration. Mercy, not merit, which means that we get to know God with a deep sense of security. And out of that deep sense of security, we then get to see others and say, hey, you can come and know what I know. Because we get to not only know God, we get to be those who are belonging, revealing God. Verse nine says this, God's very own possession. That's what we become. Like we're chosen in Jesus and we become God's very own possession. Who am I? God's. Who are you? If you know Jesus, God's. Therefore, we get to live our lives as though God was living our lives. That's a pretty high call, isn't it? Like, I get to live as Jesus is living my life. 
But the thing is, remember, mercy, not merit. Remember, we're built on him, sustained. He gives us everything to live this way. I find this profoundly provoking. I remember reading a story numbers of years ago, because I'm getting greyer and greyer. It's probably over 25 years ago. I remember reading this story of someone who'd gone overseas to reach a people group who'd never heard about Jesus. And as they landed, they realized they needed to learn the local dialect. And so they just bedded into the community and just started to ask individuals and learn different words. But in the end, realized they needed someone to come and live with them to teach them the local dialect. As they approached someone and said, please would you come and teach me the language here? And the individual turned to them and said, no, I will not, because no one can live with you and not become a Christian. I remember reading that and thinking, man, I wonder what would happen if people came and lived with me. I wonder if now, if people come and live with me, would they be able to say that about me? That because I know I'm God's possession, that as they like, look at my life, of how I live, of how I act, of what I say, of what I do, they say, man, actually I couldn't but become a follower of Jesus having lived with you. We're God's possession. But lastly, Peter also says, we're those who are showing, verse nine, you can show others the goodness of God. This isn't like an ought to, it's rather a commissioning moment. Like, who are we on earth? We're those that know God, are revealing him as we're his possession. But we're also those who are then here to be a blessing to all. We're here to show others about the goodness that we've discovered in Jesus. Not because we have to, but because we want to. See, the more and more I discover that reality that I am loved by God, unconditionally, unmeritedly, that's a word made up, in an unmerited fashion, that the more and more I want to share that with other people, I can't but do that. Because it's too good to keep to myself. If I truly believe it, I know that I'm commissioned now to share it, not because I have to, but because I want to. Which means for me this last week, an elderly neighbour... Uh, who is getting towards the end of their life. I get to sit to them as they're wavering, thinking, is this it? All I know is pain. And I just speak in the love of God. Speak in a hope that goes beyond the grave and a love that will never fail them. And their persona starts to change. And he said, do you really believe this? And I said, yes. Can I pray for you? Now daily, I go and we pray together. Why? Because we're commissioned to live this way. Why? Because we are chosen. Why? Because he is chosen. Therefore, let's live as we are chosen. Let's live as those centered on Jesus. His status, our status. His story, our story. Let's live as those celebrating Man, we have such good news. Yes, life sucks sometimes. I'm not dressing that up. It really sucks. But even within the darkest place, the light breaks in and we get to celebrate in the wonder of who Jesus is. We're his possession. And to live as those who are commissioned. Those who get to talk up the wonder of who Jesus is. Not because we have to. Because we want to. He is such good news. 
We've sung that he is good, and sometimes we can get bored of that. Oh, he is good, he is good. Where's the next words coming? He is good, he is good, he is good. No, he really is good. We use that word like it's going out of fashion. No, he isn't just good, he is very, very good. Let's be bold in expressing that to others as we keep tasting and seeing how good he is for us. The band are now going to come back up some magical way and join me. And we're just going to sing a song to respond to this. Uh, So I'd invite you to just come back up. And as you do it, let's use this as a moment to say, Jesus, I come and center on you. Your story, my story. Your chosen so that I'm chosen. Let's do it with that sense of then celebrating in the wonder of who he is. And as we celebrate, let's feel that fresh sense of God commissioning us to go and cause so many others to come and know that as we are chosen, so are they.